But then like in December, I just, I saw this coming basically in November. I saw it coming, but in December I ran out of money. I just straight up was funding it myself. And I was like, wow, like I'm a 24 year old adult and I have rent to pay and like real bills, you know, I can't just like fall back on my parents. And so I didn't really know what to do. Welcome yet again to another episode of the Shaping Design Podcast, where we help you get better at design through stories, strategies, and tactics. I'm Mitchell Bernstein. Today, we have another smashing episode for you. We have John Allen on the pod. Huge fan of John, seen his work for a while. He's a self-taught designer and developer, which is cool, really cool. Comes from the finance world uh, of accounting, I believe, and transitions into creating his own stuff, making his own startups, and uh, working in that world. And it's a really interesting perspective going from a non-traditional background into our wonderful industry. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, how's it going, man? Going really well. How are you? Great, great. Thank you for, for joining us on the pod. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad that you reached out. Honestly, I didn't expect it, but you did. What do you mean? I... You're like a superstar. You're doing all these crazy, awesome things. No, not yet. Not yet. I still have <laughs> a lot of work to do. Well, why don't you start off by giving us your background, what you do now, and, and, and how you got to this point? Sure. Yeah, right now I am a mobile app designer for a company called Slice, based here in beautiful New York City. Um, and... Yeah, essentially, it's weird because I never really considered myself a designer. I actually kind of got pulled into this. And so my background isn't like super straightforward into design, but there is a story to it like everything else. So, yeah, I studied finance back uh, in college because I thought I wanted to do the whole investment banking route. And I quickly figured out that it wasn't really for me once I had an internship. Um, the internship was great, but I just felt like it wasn't really my path to take. Um, and so after college, uh, really, I should say like during college, I started working at a startup studio where we built like companies every three to six months, which is like a really challenging task. So I don't recommend it to anyone who's like <laughs> 21 years old. I think that's how old I was at the time, but yeah, it kind of got me started down this path of like startups and technology and, and basically learned all about the industry of like the general tech industry. And while I was there, we had to make a lot of pitch decks and just like decks for, you know, marketing purposes, whether it was pitching investors or just like internally. And I just started designing PowerPoints, like just because I thought, oh, these should look better than they do. Right. Everyone's so used to like the bulleted points. And I just always wanted to make a better looking PowerPoint than that. So I started designing the pitch decks and then building the websites for the companies. And then I decided to go out and build my own company, which was a mobile app. And that's where I learned how to design and code. Um, and because I built that, a lot of people kind of saw me as like a designer, even though I never once called myself that. So it just <laughs> always felt a little weird. Uh, until one day someone reached out from Slice, the head of design, and essentially recruited me to be their mobile app designer. Um, and then a lot of other people on the side reached out and asked me to design their app. So basically last year throughout 2022, I consider myself to become a designer. Uh, but still, when you like talk about me being a superstar designer, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I'm just getting started, man. I, Dude, really not. <laughs> that's like, that's amazing. I mean, Pascal and I, or I, I don't know, Pascal, if you actually studied this in school, I did. Um, but I think we, we, we took more of a traditional path in design where we started off in design and kind of went off and, mm -hmm. and continued that path, right? So it's interesting to me that you didn't start there so like, what was like the thing about design that was like, or or like, because you, you didn't like go into it because of design. You went into it because you wanted to make something, right? Like, what was the yeah. thing that made you want to become a designer without calling yourself a designer? Uh, yeah, it's a good point that you made. I didn't really like, it was funny because when I was a kid, I never would have thought like, oh, I have to be a designer. I never even like saw this as a career opportunity. See, that's the opposite for me. I that's what I wanted. You're born and you're like, yeah, I, I came that. out the womb and that was a designer. That's that was like, <laughs> you know, paintbrush and everything. So like to, to tell me, like, what was the um, like that moment that was like that needed to, to happen for you? 
I don't know. That's a really good question. I, um, I think if you were to really, you know how like your past always has these little foreshadowing type of moments. Like I think if I looked back, you could have probably seen it because again, I wasn't the guy who ever said like, Oh, I need to do design. But as a kid, I played with Legos and Lincoln logs, like all the time. I was just always building stuff. Um, and then like as a teenager, when I bought my first car, I like tricked it out. Like, I don't know why <laughs> I just had like a desire to make this car look cool. Well, what'd you do and to now it? that I'm, I mean, I put like tinted windows in there and like, unfortunately I was the guy who has subwoofers and honestly, <laughs> I probably will have subwoofers in my next car because it's just, you know, smaller ones that I did in high school, but I just made it look like a nice car, even though it was a Honda Civic. So it's not a flex at all, <laughs> but, um. But like now that I'm 27, I just like fashion and interior design. So it's just like always evolved as this craft of like, I just like when things look good and feel good and have like good quality to them. And yeah, there's really like no point in my life where I was like, I have to become a designer uh, other than like I had to because I wanted to build this mobile app and I wanted to build these websites and I wanted to build these pitch decks to make them look nice. But that wasn't really a single point. It was just like an evolution of, of just progressively getting a little more skilled with the computer. And what was that trigger point for you that you kind of, I'm a designer. I can actually make a living out of this. Honestly, the story was kind of wild because basically what happened was I was uh, running the small lava and I realized it was a bad business. It was a cool product and it got a lot of attention, but it was a bad business. Um, and I have no shame in that because honestly, you got to do these things to learn. Essentially, the whole concept of it was that you could go and and make a podcast like in a click of a button on your app. Mm -hmm. So you could just like pull your phone out, call your friend, record your conversation mm -hmm. and share it to like a whole social network. And like social networks and social media are like super hard businesses to start. I mean, there's only like a few of them that actually have survived. Mm -hmm. So during that year, my my co-founder and I, and then a few people, we had like four or five people on our team. We essentially just worked all the time on this app and loved it, had like the most fun of our lives, just got really good at coding and design. But then like in December, I just, I saw this coming. Basically in November, I saw it coming. But in December, I ran out of money. I just straight up was funding it myself. And I was like, wow, like I'm a 24-year-old adult and I have rent to pay and like, real bills you know i can't just like fall back on my parents and so i didn't really know what to do there's like a two-week span and i just thought of a plan i was like well a bunch of people keep asking me to to design their app because they see my app like people just keep emailing me i was living in chicago at the time a bunch of people in chicago were asking me in person but it was never serious until like december when i ran out of money and i made it serious and i just emailed all these people and were like hey, if you want me to design your app, let's sign this contract in like three days. Like, there's your timeline. Do it if you want. And I actually got a few people to do it. And then all of a sudden, like a bunch of people started saying yes. And it like very quickly turned into like a six-figure side hustle within like a couple weeks span just for me like reaching wow. out to people. And I realized I was like, wow, this like actually pays quite well. Um, and it wasn't just the money, right? It was like a fun project, all these things that I was signing up for. But but that was probably like when I ran out of money, it was on the crunch and I was saved because I had like a technical skill. was when I realized that design itself is like a very viable job, especially in the technology industry. I love that story. That that makes me feel good about our discipline because sometimes people write it off and I'm like, oh, you know, we don't really need a designer. We just need engineers and then they can I build know. the thing. And I know. So we, <laughs> just, like, make, what? we just make rectangles yeah. all day. That's all we do. Yeah. <laughs> Which you, it is ironic because when people ask me what I do, sometimes I'm like, all right, if you really want like the, the reality of it, I kind of just draw shapes and then like <laughs> lay them out and color them and fill them with content. But it's important work, obviously. And it's a big puzzle. So what about design now do you like the most? And then we'll get into some of the projects that you worked on, like Lava. Yeah, I really like that. Like every day I wake up and I get to be creative. It feels like art. I, I'm going to actually ask you two a question. Do you think that design is art? No. 
I think that no. there's an art to it, but I don't okay. think it is art. Like, I think there's an art as in like it's kind of like a verb, and then there's art as in the noun. Yeah, and art as in the noun, I classify very differently, but as an art form rather as the mm-hmm. verb, I think that it can be because it takes a lot of craft, uh, which kinda is kind of the thing that blends the two. I think I kind of see like older design like in when swiss style was around and when like topography was like at the print style of it that was art yeah to me today designing a mobile app that's not art we're just using components and just laying them out it's not the same to me because we're losing now we're losing but i feel like the purist in me considers like that type of design from back then i consider that art like paul ran and all like the great designers from that era they were doing art because they were reinventing the wheel every time. It feels now mm-hmm. like feels now we're just, you know, we're moving forward. We're we're very creative, but it I don't consider art anymore compared to what it used to be. And it's not me yeah. just being in the craft for a long time. I, I'm just, you know, that's just the way I see it. But to the same as Mitch, I with I agree with Mitch's statement as of today. As of before, I considered it was art. Yeah, I think in the past it was a lot more, um, a lot more free form, which is like, so this was the weird part about my answer is that I like waking up every day and feeling like I'm making art. But also at the same time, I, after doing this for basically two years, like mobile app design in specific, I do feel like it's a pretty um, structured skill set, right? To, to put it nicely, because there's only so many ways you can lay out a mobile app on this little screen, right? And so you have to pick out layouts and common patterns because it's just what consumers are used to and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I do mm-hmm. like that every day I wake up and I get to go and kind of approach a problem in a different light. Like last week, I just redesigned this entire tab for the Slice app. And normally we just would stick to our component system. And I just, I just was like, screw that. I'm just going to like try something new and see what happens and it ended up being amazing and and it just felt good after like two or three days of doing that where i was like wow it just it was creative it was problem solving but then also it's just like net new like we never had this before so that goes back to a question that we talk about a lot or more behind the scenes i guess pascal but it's it's goes back to the question of when do you break a design system like when is oh. the time to like jump in and like just be go careful crazy? if you're in a big team. <laughs> I guess you have experience with that too, huh? Yeah. I, well, we don't have a huge team at Slice, but yeah, it's just interesting because you can't really like, you know, we're working with designers and engineers. So if you break a design system component Figma, okay, whatever, that might upset some designers. But if you break in, you don't tell the engineers, and then like three months later, they're like, why is this mismatching? You know, it can cause problems. So I've learned the hard way not to do that. <laughs> so how did you get then this new tab bar in? Well, it hasn't gone into production yet. I But basically, okay. I've been just like floating it around the company, you know, starting with the design team because they're most open-minded about just random things because it's not, you know, it's just design. It's not like seriously in production yet. But I've been pitching it to different squads and different leaders to basically push it into the app so we'll do you have like happens. do you have like a contribution system that you can contribute back to the design system or make an enhancement or a modification to it instead of creating something net new that it's going to be living in a, on an island well if we end up pushing this to production we will make components out of these different you know different things that we've made so i don't know it, it's we're small enough of a team that i can just like change the design system i just have like it's big enough of a team that you have to communicate it across mm-hmm. an org, right? It's not just a little startup like what I used to have where I was the founder and designer and my co-founder was the founder and CTO. Like we would just make something and then the next day build it and then the third day ship it, right? And so that, that was like a whole different process than working on like an actual org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that contrast pretty pretty uh, stark, starkly to like a, what we've been doing, Pascal and I, uh, working at the past couple of companies together, and we are helping to initiate, manage, create that contribution model, create the 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 teams that can then help 
lead different efforts on like the smallest little changes you would ever imagine that affect thousands of products. It's mm -hmm. wild, but it's also probably so freeing for you because you're like, yeah, I can just kind of like do this whole thing and like no one will notice or like everyone will notice, but like at the last minute I can get away with it. And like in <laughs> our, our case, we have to go through like 15 reviews and, and every PM and every manager and every developer has to get a, in a say in it. And it's pretty tough. So uh, I want to kind of pivot a little bit towards your your work on Lava, right? That's the name of the social mm -hmm. network that you kind of created a little app, right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about that app. I know you spoke just previously about uh, kind of the, the pitfalls of, of that experience, but I'm sure that since it leveraged a lot, you were able to leverage it a lot for your other um, endeavors and getting other people to you know pay you for making apps. You learn a lot doing it. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, I have no regrets, by the way. So like, you know, there's pitfalls, of course, but... Uh, it was funny because when I was starting it, my my parents are like, they're like, they're not strict people in any way, right? But my dad's a superintendent. My mom's a teacher. They're very education focused. They're very like, um, just professionally oriented. Like they just wanted me to do a good career or have a good career. And so my dad was always like, why are you going to just like go and not make any money and just try to start an app? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> And so I basically had to tell him and then also tell myself that like, oh, if this doesn't work, I'll find out a way to make something else work. Hmm. So it did. And it was ironic that it actually came true. Probably not the goal of what I wanted, but I, I at least had that as a backup. Um, yeah, essentially, I was working at this venture studio in 2020 and or no, 2021. And I was starting all these companies, seeing how company formation works. And I got my feet wet and kind of understood like, all right, this is how you get a company at least somewhat off the ground in terms of like growing your early customers, doing the actual paperwork and legal work. Like you do have to learn that stuff. Um, and once I kind of felt comfortable, I, I wanted to go out on my own. And I knew I always wanted to do, it, to do this because I tried in college a bunch as well. And the whole premise was that I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I wanted to make a podcast like what you're doing now, but I realized that like making one is pretty laborious and expensive. <laughs> and and I'm sure like, are you going to deny me on that one? Or is that still pretty much it's true? true? It's still true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay, you can do it. You can do it for cheap and then you can scale it. We just, I, you can, I just am a designer and I have to, I know you have to have the LEDs behind you making yeah. all the, the nice background and everything. No, but, but I realized like, okay, there's so many steps. You have to like get your equipment, you have to get your host, you have to then go and, and edit it and share it. And like, even just the sharing part, which is pretty straightforward, just posting to social media. It's like a lot of work. It's just a ton of work to do that. It's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. And so I kind of had this, this insight because I was trying to make a podcast. And then I also looked at all the other forms of social media or really all the other forms of content from video to text and imagery and you see things like Instagram blowing photography out of the water. You see things like TikTok taking short form video and obviously becoming what it is today and things like Twitter, which is obviously for text and now much more. But, but the premise was that like all these forms of content used to be really hard to make. You used to have to like write a blog to do all these things. And then like a social network came through and just made it so that anyone could do it. And I thought we could do the same for audio. Uh, so myself and my best friend from high school, who is a nice technical engineer, I don't know how I recruited him. He had a great job. But he's like, let's do this. And we went and built this app called Lava, which let you record your conversation, add a quick photo, uh, description, basically all the content that you would need for a podcast. And then you share it straight to the app itself and to the other platforms. So you could listen on Spotify or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, but you could also just listen right in the app. And everyone had a profile on it that you could follow and message. So it was like much a social experience when it came to podcasting. Um, yeah. If, if you, honestly, if you pushed it and it was able to take off, like really take off, I'm pretty sure Elon would have bought that and integrated it right into <laughs> Twitter spaces and stuff. Cause yeah. like, that's like very similar in essence to, to what yes. that is. And so I, I think like it's there, like the idea is there. So like, why, why isn't it like, why didn't it work? 
what, what's what's going on there? So, yeah, there's two things. I'm never going to blame the market for the full failure, but I will state that this happened when we started. Um, Clubhouse just started blowing up. Oh, uh, and that's like it's a blessing in disguise because it got us a lot of attention because everyone's mm -hmm. like just looking into the space in general. But then also it really sucks when they happen to be like some of the fastest fundraising like in history because then they just get all the attention. And like then it became really competitive to get like podcasters and creators to join the app because they were always like, well, I just grew a, you know, 10,000 person audience in 24 hours on Clubhouse. I now have revenue streams <laughs> from this brand new app. Why would I go and use yours? And so it was really hard to actually get creators going on there. So the market definitely had something to do with it for sure. But then I also realized like the content itself is not the same as photos and videos and, and text. It's not short form to create and consume. It's actually like a lot of effort to do both. <laughs> like you have to spend 30 to 40 minutes recording, uh, which is time, right? And then you have to spend as a consumer, like, I don't know, 20 to 40 minutes, however long the content is to go and listen. Mm -hmm. So it's like really hard to turn that into this social type of content because social content nowadays is basically short form, short videos, quick photo and a like, quick tweet. So I felt like audio itself is actually probably not best for social media. You can do clips though. Yeah, uh, it's 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 interesting because you can't you can't like scroll fifteen items in a list yes. and listen to all 15 of them if they're all 30 minutes long like <laughs> right <laughs> you have like maybe 15 minutes to scroll through something when you're pooping on, on the toilet and you're not gonna like listen to all these things especially in public there's also that other issue where it's like all right you can't listen to all these things let's have headphones yeah. or whatever everyone gets annoyed everyone's listening to the same thing at the same time so there's some constraints there i can see yeah that's difficult that, that is a difficult so would you ever consider like pivoting it to be a little more like um, kind of like a podcasting traditional podcasting app or you think it's like just going to run we considered that um, we didn't want to like give up on it right away because uh, why do that right like we built a really good foundation um, but I don't know I looked at the market and I just felt like it wasn't big enough for podcasting apps because if you look at most of the companies that are in there outside of Spotify and probably Apple Podcasts though I don't know how much revenue they make from that. Outside of that, all the other podcasting apps, you know, maybe bring anywhere from 10 to 30 million in revenue a year, which by all means is a fantastic company, right? But it's really hard to get there when you're competing against Spotify, which has debatably a billion dollars invested into this industry. And Apple, which doesn't seem to invest, but they have distribution that is like pretty much hard to compete against. So I just felt like the competitive moats that they had as businesses were going to be way too hard to defeat, especially if you're just competing on features, because it's just like really hard to make an app work if you're just going to come with better transcriptions or something, right? Like you have to really stick out to work and you can even make the same argument as Clubhouse. Like they did stick out, but where are they now? It just didn't really stick, to be honest. Yeah. So it's interesting because you're talking a lot about business, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, not traditionally a part of design, but it's, it's more part of the product design world that we live in today because it would, you can't just focus on features because people don't just get attracted by features and they also don't stay in, in the ecosystem because of features. So how do you, I guess, learn all these things about the business side of it? that then can can be leveraged by the development and the design side? Well, for starters, I did spend four years studying finance. So I do have that little background. Um, but then also, I'm like still an avid consumer of podcasts. Like I listen to probably one or two a day. Uh, uh, not today, a day. Like every day I listen to a podcast or watch YouTube videos and they're always on business. I don't know why I just like get geeked up on this. Um, the whole design and business thing is interesting because I have seen in my career, my short design career, that a lot of designers don't really want to think in business terms or like, <laughs> um, and it's not to 
like call anyone out in any way, but I just was more of like, you know, I think, I think most of us, at least in product design, we work in for-profit businesses. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we do have to think like, what is the impact to revenue or what are we going to make from whatever we're doing? Because that's really the key metric that you have to go and, and pretty much push upwards to grow. And well, a lot of people don't really want to think about that too much. Well, what would be the, I guess, top three things you think designers should learn about business if you were to give them some advice on that? Oh, man. Um, so I re- <laughs> there's a lot of things to learn about business. But yeah. I do think that essentially, like the whole feature thing is very true because as product designers, it's super easy to get this idea. Like it happens to me all the time where I'm just like at the gym and I'm like, Oh man, that's a brilliant feature. And so you want to go home, dive right into Figma and design it. But when you think about features, you have to think like longer term, like not only how does this impact the product, but how does this impact the consumer habits and how they see your product and perceive it? Because this may or may not increase revenue. It may not do anything at all, but you might think it's like the biggest feature in the world just because it's like cool, right? It's like the AI craze. Everyone's like trying to push AI into their product but they don't really know where they're just trying to fit like a block into a circle. Um, and so it's like a big thing is like, how do, do features impact the bottom line, the revenue or even profit? Right. Cause even a good thing is like, or a bad thing is like you build a feature, but it's extremely expensive. So like, is it just going to like completely be a waste of money? And I saw that last year when we had like rewards as this feature in the app, uh, in the slice app, and it was just like losing us millions of dollars. And we're like, why are we doing this? Like, it's cool, right? But it's not worth it. So yeah, just understanding how features are like in a business impact is definitely one thing. And another thing that I'm like getting more keen on are competitive modes. And it's probably just because, I don't know, I just listened to a lot of Warren Buffett and and he just, just really emphasizes the, the fact that like competitive modes are really what like keep a business in business, right? It's, it's how can you design something that like is not just a feature that no one else has, but is like a structural aspect of your business that makes it so that no other company can come in and just like take your customers away from you, which is a weird thing to think about. It's really abstract. There's nothing like concrete about that, but, but like even just like network effects of social networks an insanely good competitive mode. It made it so that like our social app couldn't really break in because other people already had the network and all the attention, right? Um, so those are a really big thing is the competitive modes. And yeah, as a product designer for business, I think just learning how to talk to people is, is huge. In general, I've noticed most designers are really good at like presenting and they usually dress nice. I mean, I was actually kind of shocked to enter the industry of design and realize like most of these people are amazing. Um, not that I didn't believe that. I just didn't know, uh, they're really cool people. Um, but I think when you go and pitch business leaders, like one thing that I've learned, especially at slice is slice. And then also trying to fundraise for my app is that people like most investors, most, uh, you know, leaders, they really are business people. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to speak in their terms and you're just pitching a new product, that's going to like revolutionize your industry, but it has nothing to do with the business, right? Then they won't really want to listen, um, even if they look engaged. So you definitely have to learn how to go and pitch. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. on terms of business side, like I, I did a bit of the opposite. I went into design and then I went and did business you know, marketing and then I got my MBA. So I kind of did the, the flip side because I understood the value of business and anything we do in design. Like what would be, an advice, I know Mitch had a similar question, but I'll flip it on the other side is you've been in the field for a long time. How can designers get good at understanding business? Like, is it through school? Is it through doing it? Like, what is, what's your perception on, on this aspect? I think for any topic, you just have to do it. That's like the best way to learn. Um, but how can you just do business? Right. It's like not super obvious how you just do business. Um, so, yeah, I think schooling could help. Personally, I don't think schooling was like super impactful to me. Like my finance degree, um, 
ironically didn't teach me any finance courses until like the last <laughs> semester, which was weird to me because it was just one semester of finance. The rest was like general. Where, where'd you go to school? Ohio State. Cool, cool, cool. Which honestly, it was a really good degree. I, it was just, I didn't realize that like specializations, like studying finance was really like just one year, really. It's of a four-year experience. Most of it is just general business ideas and principles. Um, but if you can't just do it because you don't want to be like an entrepreneur or you just don't have a job in business, I think the best way to learn is to like just study the topic with natural interest. Like this bookshelf behind me doesn't have many books out on it. It's just like a nice display. There's a bookshelf out there. There's two that are just fully loaded with like, I don't know, something like a hundred books, probably half them are basically business case stories or case studies. Like, you know, either like directly from the founders who wrote the, wrote the books themselves about how their business worked or just about, you know, general business itself and how essentially different companies along history have become what they have become. So yeah, I just think you have to naturally want to learn. That's awesome. awesome. So uh, who, who do you look up to that's kind of been inspiring you besides, I know you mentioned Warren Buffett as, as one of your like people that you like say, oh, this is something I can take on myself. I can kind of learn these lessons. Who else? Is there anyone else out there or is that just it? Yeah. And I want to like clarify Warren Buffett isn't like my only aspiration. I feel yeah. like that's such a difficult <laughs> answer, right? It's like that and Elon Musk and you're like, oh, come on. Um, no, actually someone that there's two people that I really look up to and they both owned agencies and they're both podcast. Well, one is a podcaster. Um, there's a guy named Stephen Bartlett who um, essentially ran one of the best social media marketing agencies until he sold it. And I think he's only like 29, like he's really young, but he has a podcast called The Diary of a CEO. And yeah, you know, what I'm talking it's, about a, now. it's a great, it's a great one. It's great. Um, and I just really liked him because as, he's very much like an honest person mm -hmm. and would talk about business, but then also like talks about the emotions of all of his guests that he has on. And I just found that refreshing because most podcasts you listen to are just like straight to the point of whatever that person's working on. Um, so I just really like his personality and I think he's a brilliant guy and, and very sharp business person if you just kind of like watch his moves doesn't directly say what he's doing, but you can just like see what he's doing and it's impressive. And another one is Andrew Wilkinson um, of Tiny. I've just like in the past year really found him to be so inspiring because he's like really, really sharp. And he was a designer, probably still calls himself a designer, but is more of a capital allocator slash business person now. Right. But I just feel like the way he thinks is very... Um, is very grounded and like, you know, pragmatic, which is uh, something that just really attracts me. It's funny because I actually messaged, uh, I had sent an email to Andrew 12 years ago, maybe. Well, oh, something he like must that. have been like still like, I don't know what grind. It, yeah, it was, it was crazy because he was like, I think it was on Twitter. He was like, uh, or something like that. I was like, uh, you know, if you, I listened to him or read something about it. It's like, if you want to ask me questions, feel free to email me. And now you can't really do that. Cause you're not going to get yeah. a response because <laughs> he's so busy. They get so many emails, but like I emailed him and I emailed him like the dumbest possible like email. <laughs> and I felt, I feel like so bad looking back at the email because he responded and then I followed up and I think he's responded again. But like, I was like a, like 12 years old, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't know how to write a freaking email or whatever. And I, I'm like, I wasted that opportunity. I could have had this like gold in my inbox forever. But it was very nice of him to respond, at, especially to somebody who was aspiring to do stuff like that. That's that's two two great people. That's that's really good. so. Uh, how did you come across both of them? I mean, I just listened to a lot of podcasts, and they do you listen to our podcast? Oh yeah, I listened oh, to it yeah. yesterday actually. Hell yeah! Um, <laughs> and so I listened to a lot of podcasts and know how these people came up i don't actually know but i it's just like you know how on the internet you just discover people and then all of a sudden you get really into them like mm -hmm. i've recently just dove into this guy johnny harris who's from like vox or he did work at vox and i used to watch his shows called like vox borders which is all about kind of like geopolitics in a way but 
not really political side, just how the world works. And I just have been on his YouTube channel for like two weeks straight, just like 30 minutes a day, just consuming all of his content. So yeah, it's just one of those things where you just come across these people and then you dive into like their backgrounds and you start to listen to them and you realize like, wow, I really resonate with what they're saying. Uh, pa- cool. uh, Pascal, do you listen to any podcasts? I do on and off. Like I'm, I, I read a lot of books, but yeah. yeah, it's like the podcast I listen to is like an, the people that like the things I'm currently working on. Like I like Mark Moss from a financial perspective, just because I like his twist on how he sees finance like from a business side and like I'm looking into, you know, buying these businesses. So I'm looking at like Cody Sanchez. I just like her approach to boring businesses. And, you know, those are things that I look into and it's always like podcast based on what I'm currently into because I have a hard time working and listening to a podcast at the same time. Like my mind, I can't, it's just, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I just pay attention either. to it. But there's a lot of people that do it. You know, they have that podcast. It's in the background and they just play it. I can't. I, I need to be sitting down and listening to it and really paying attention. So, Taking so that's notes. why it's like it's always in the moment of what I'm trying to focus on right now. Is that's the type of podcast I listen to. I totally agree with that. That's how I have to listen to. Like uh, I'll do it when I make my breakfast every morning and eat mm. breakfast. But, but like when I'm working, when I'm in design mode, I pretty much need music. I don't yes. know why, but it just is like by habit. I have to put it on, and if I. If I get the right song, have enough caffeine in my blood, I can just like zone into design for hours. Just inject it in. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually kind of crazy. And in terms of like being business, like you you founded that business, et cetera. What's your perception on, on, you know, once you've been a businessman, you're always going to be a businessman. Regardless, like if you're working for somebody right now, I'm sure your head is going, you're thinking of that next idea or what can you do? How do you see that? Because I, I think everybody that's been in business once, working like with people, it's good, but you always have that mindset of, okay, I need to create this. I need to do something like this. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I like, honestly, since I took my more corporate job, I haven't stopped thinking about like other opportunities. And I've like worked on some on the side too. So I'm just like, I just need to get that fulfillment. Yep. So, so I don't know if there's like a straightforward answer because it seems like most people, they either like, like entrepreneurial people, they'll just try. And when something works really well, some of them will just be like, okay, I've grinded for 10 years. I'm done with this. And other people are like, all right, now I have the resources to do what I want, like the real thing that I want. And they keep going. And you just kind of have to determine like who you are. And at this point in my life, I haven't grinded long enough to know. I'm only 27. None of my businesses have really done that well. And so until that happens, I can't really give you a good answer. How do you make time for all these things? For what? Like ideas and businesses? Yeah. Like, like so you, you have a full-time job and yeah. you want to build this other business that's like a social media, right? Like companies, like it's a whole thing. And, and you then you still have other ideas that you want to build. Like, how do you manage all of these things in your head and also in reality? The the last part that you said is really important. It's like the mental clarity. I think that's the most important thing because really, like everyone has the same amount of time and it's just about prioritization. And so like I have a pretty good routine of like work, like wake up, eat breakfast, work, work out, and then do the rest of my working. And so like managing the time, that's just kind of like picking what you think is highest priority. It's more of the, the mental clarity that is the struggle because if you have too many things going on, you just like can't really focus on any of them that well. And it's, it's funny because everyone's like, who's an entrepreneur, they're always like, I'm always working. But what they really mean is they might work, like physically work from like a nine to six. But then from like six till they go to bed, they're like thinking about work, right? And that to them is work. And when I was doing lava full time, I realized that is like the best feeling because you can just focus on one thing entirely. Like you're at the gym, you don't even know what you're doing. So you're like, holy, like how many reps have I done? I just have only been thinking about this app. And I love doing that. And I haven't had it in a little while because I've just like had to divide my time between work and other ideas. But yeah, I think it's just more about like what you care about and what you want to do and, and 
that leads to how you prioritize your time. I mean, I, I could ask the same for you. How do you do have time? You're doing a podcast. I don't. You have your own job. <laughs> <laughs> you have... I was yeah, asking because I, I need I, I need help. We need help with this. That's that's why that's why I asked because I'm struggling with that at the moment because this podcast it this podcast is good. It's easy to do, um, but when things like when shit hits the fan, it like everything collapses, and then all my mm -hmm. time is spent trying to fix those things. So that's mm -hmm. like the biggest issue with the podcast. But honestly, like we're I think we're doing a pretty good job trying to manage our time. Right, right, Pascal. Right. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good at that. Like, you know, Pascal's really managing the writing of of, of the thing. I'll probably start doing some writing uh, now that I'm, I'm I've joined a startup, and I want to talk more about that. But then I kind of handle a lot more of the editing and recording and and you know getting the mm -hmm. social media clips out. Which I think we need to hire someone just to do social media because, like you said before, early in the podcast, like that is a huge thing. Um, but yeah, no, that that is like majority of my time outside of work, and then. I do full-time startup job. Yeah. I which I saw that you just started in June. So Yeah. Yeah, like well, so this yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, this this actually this week is the first full week of full-time job, but I've been contracting for them for like 3 or 4 months now. So uh, okay. like we've gotten familiar with each other. We know the cadence, we know how to work together, we know our strengths and weaknesses or they know my strengths and weaknesses rather. Uh but this is the first full-time week, yeah. That's that's a really good path. Um, I did the same thing last year. I was freelancing for a bunch of different companies. And uh, after like six months, a lot of them were like, you should just come full time. And and I was good with Slice, so I never went. But um, it's always good to start off with that relationship. Yeah. And, and it's a great way to introduce yourself to uh, a company culture. I find that there's yeah. very few opportunities where you get to ex really experience it and then say no. You don't want that at the end, but oftentimes if you're really spending that much time, you're going to fall in love with that company culture. So uh, I guess what did they do to get you? Like, what was the thing that was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with slice. The free candy. It has to be free candy somewhere. <laughs> it's the pizza. It's a free pizza. No, Which is a great she... place to do it because pizza in, in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. I awesome. mean, there's a lot of pizza too much, <laughs> which is funny because like, I try to stay pretty healthy with what I eat. So there's pizza like all the time in the office. Oh my and God. Yeah. You just have to say no, but yeah. um, no, it was uh, what got me to do it. It was mainly basically the opportunity to go mm -hmm. and take this app that is doing really well and evolve it to do something that is, that is like quite transformative in the industry. So if you look at slice right now, um, or if you looked at Slice when I joined, which was February 2022, it was pretty outdated. And I even talked to the head of design before I started. He's like, we haven't changed anything in like years. Like we maybe, you know, made updates, but, but it just looked outdated. And I thought like, why would I want to work for a company that doesn't value design? But they were like, well, we're going to start to value design. And that's why we want to bring you in. And up until that point, there were, they had like one or two designers here and there, but they mainly were just using agencies to do the work, which is just kind of a lot of patchwork. Mm -hmm. So it's never like a full vision. And so the opportunity that I saw was like, all right, this come this app, right? It has like millions of users, brings in quite a lot of money. Um, like it's a good business, very solid business, profitable. They're growing. They want to go public. They have executives that they hired at the recent, like right when I joined that were like astounding. And honestly, they've transformed the company in a great way. And they want to take the design side and really like evolve it to be something amazing. So it was just like this culmination of opportunity that I thought would be really amazing. And it has. That's interesting that you said that it didn't have good design and yet you still accepted and said, oh, <laughs> well, they're gonna have good design. So what like had like, what was going through your head at that point? Like, what were you feeling when you, when you were accepting that offer? I definitely was nervous because I was going from an entrepreneurial state of mind to worker. And I, I remember I told myself, I was like, this is going to be six months. And I it like, didn't even matter. Like, I, I was just like, this is a temporary thing. And now it's been like a year and a half. So I'm still working there and it's still great. But I just kept thinking like, well, you know, 
I could go work for a company that's known for design. Um, but then what's the fun in that? Like all the hard work is done. And so it just kind of felt like, oh, all right, like I still get to be an entrepreneur in the sense of like, if I really have some sort of leverage and control, <laughs> I will be able to like go and enact my style of design into the app and, and hopefully get it pushed because it's still small enough of a team where a single designer can have quite a large impact. So I was excited. Awesome. Yeah. That's, usually people go, oh, I like that company and I want to join them because they're going to teach me design. But you're really coming in saying you're the expert. You're going to help them get better at design. Um, what were like the early struggles of that? Well, I learned pretty quickly that like a lot of design is not designing itself. But when it comes to a bigger company, you know, most of it is working with a team, um, pitching business people, right? Going to stand-ups every day. Like you have to do all these things, these overhead things to make sure that that something actually gets built. And it's just not as easy as like making a design, coding it and shipping it, which is what I was used to. A lot of it is like, all right, we have to scope this. We have to see if we have the resources. We have to see if we have the time, the priority, the roadmap. Is this what the company really wants? Is this part of the KPIs? Like there's so many other things that go into it when you work on a large team. Um, and that was a struggle. I remember because like in August, six months after I joined, I got my first review and it was a pretty good review. But my boss is like, you have to stop telling people that it's easy because I would just go into meetings and be like, what do you mean you can't build a modal? This would take me a few hours. Right. And, and I had to learn how to like tame that down because, because there were times where I was like, this shouldn't take that long, but it does. And yeah, I just had to learn patience within a big structure. It's, it's annoying when you know the answer, you have a clear idea of how to solve it. You can tell people how exactly to do it and they still refuse to do it or they just don't know how to take your idea, yeah. your, your thoughts, communicate that into a reality for them. But sometimes that it's also about leading them to the answer. It's not about you, even if you know it. Yes. If you want to become and, and lead from the inside out, you got to let them find the answer, even if you know it. That's like the number one thing that a lot of people uh, struggle with because they, they know the answer. I'm just going to go and do it. But you're not helping the team out with, but with, by doing that. So I think you got to learn on exactly. how to, you know the answer, push them to find that thing and then just let it happen. Like they're going to eventually find it. But I think that's, that's what I've always struggled with at that point. But, but you hope they eventually find it. I mean, if do. they don't, you, you can do. step in. You can step in. It's not like forbidden. Yeah, but exactly. you're absolutely right. I, another thing too that I learned is that like, uh, like to that point, if you motivate someone to do something in the sense of like you give them autonomy mm -hmm. and some guidance to go and find the answer, they're going to be way more invested into actually mm -hmm. doing the right thing versus like a lot of times from what I've seen, a lot of times people just treat like engineers or any other part of the org as like a service. Like I need something from you. Right. But mm -hmm. like the best thing is to actually just be like, look, here's my goal. I know that you have this side of the problem to deal with. Like just go figure out how to solve it. And then they're going to come back with the right problem or the right solution because they actually wanted to solve it, not just because you told them to go and solve it. Exactly. It's like when you do that three in the box model where you kind of involve them in design. Involve them. Even though they're not a designer, yes. you involve them in the process so that they're they're think they're involved, they're pitching ideas, they're doing a sticky note, exercise or whatnot. They feel more involved. I mean, there's pros and cons to a lot of these activities, but from my experience, at least once they feel they're involved, they're more prone to be proactive and pitch and be you know, forward thinking all of this. Yeah. And what's ironic is that it's just one line. You just have to say, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes they'll just say, I don't know, you're the designer, you do it. Sometimes they say, I think we should do this. And you can just say, oh, great. I don't think that's the right answer. But just because you ask that question, like they will feel way more motivated to go mm -hmm. and build out the solution once it's, you know, established. How do you handle uh, criticism? Giving and taking. Um, I'm pretty open-minded, I would say, if there's good reason. Like, if someone just, like, critique, 
I had a I had a coworker who just would critique and not offer any alternatives. And it just annoyed me because I was like, all right, you're just like, it's like telling someone like, hey, your shirt sucks. You're like, okay, do you have another shirt for me? Um, so if someone is like, hey, your shirt sucks, but I think if you just unbuttoned it one button or if you just tried on this shirt with this pants, like if someone offered an, a solution and rashly it sounded better, I, I'm pretty good with it. I think that also comes from like the art of giving and receiving critiques. Like not, yeah. not everybody's good at giving critique. Cause I, yeah, you can you say have... like, I don't like the blue button. Okay. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like it. Well, that's not an answer. Right. I think yeah. it's, but it, it's, it, even like the critique aspect of it, like you pointed out is, but how do you deal with it? Like, what's your response to that? So like, once you receive that type of feedback, what's your type of response? Yeah. I mean, it, it's always hard, right? You have to kind of interpret it through the lens of yourself, but then also have empathy for the other person. Like, mm -hmm. why are they saying that? Um, and that's kind of the difficult part of being human. You just have to <laughs> learn to talk to other humans. Um, but one thing that I just was really impressed with was this executive, his name is Peter Chain. He's a head of product at Slice. He kind of taught me how to be really open-minded because because of the way that he accepts critiques and gives them. Because he always will just like try to critique it with a solution um, and good logic behind why it's happening. So not like, I just hit that blue button, but here's why. But then also what was really um, really insightful is that essentially anytime someone would present a solution that goes against whatever he thought was right, if they present it in a way that's a good argument, logical, you have data to support it, or you just have some sort of good reason to why we should make a decision, he'll just go with, okay, yeah, let's do it. And just would like on the flip of a switch, just change his mind. And just like working with him over the past two years, I've realized like that is honestly the best way to approach any problem, whether it's design, business, or just like life, social interactions. Yeah, there. So the startup I work for right now, um, they're very. It's very interesting because I'm the first hire, but I'm also the first designer. Uh, so they really want to invest in design from the get go, and I really appreciate that. And that's one reason why I'm like super all about it. And again, it's like another, it's like a boring biz business, but like it's such a important fundamental thing to all mm -hmm. the things that we do. But what I've come across is like, I've become challenged in ways I haven't before by being asked why at every pixel level. Like, so the, it's just me and the CEO are sitting next to each other every day or not every day, but most days. And he's just like, all right, so show me what you got. Okay, what's that? What's that doing there? I'm like, um, I, you know, I didn't I, really I think about like, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like I have to I have to I like go through. My, yeah, like like you have to like layer every decision with like an opinion, but also a fact of how that logic plays into the rest of it, and remember it. Like I'm doing it, and like it's it's a secondhand nature to me. Like whatever, like I can do blind, but now that I have to unload that and explain it to somebody, uh, it's it's getting me back into that mode of more collaborative more collaborative efforts uh but it's at a higher degree than i think i've ever had before which is great i love it and it makes me a better designer because i have to reinforce all the decision making um but i bet that not everyone can handle that kind of level of feedback that level of questioning where it's kind of like why 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 like you know it's kind of like a little kid saying why to the parents <laughs> a million times i'm sure that you get that quite a bit with other engineers or other designers other executives right Oh, definitely. Um, but it's it's such a good thing, right? It's like that first yeah. principle thinking. You can get down to like the root of something. Mm -hmm. Like even if it's just like a page transition from from one page to another on an app, like why did you do it with this animation? If you can get down all the way down to like, oh, well, here's a psychological principle to why this will like impact conversion. If you can get all the way down there, then like you're solid. <laughs> you know, it's if it's rooted in first principles, you are going to be a winner. Um, what what are first principles for those who don't understand? First principles, to me, it's just like kind of how the world works. Like it's you could argue it's it's physics. It's like these are undeniable theories and facts, some theories. But I mean, it's still really just like the root cause of anything. Um, like too often you want to just do the abstraction as the reasoning, right? Like oh, customers are doing X, so we're going to do Y. 
but really you should you shouldn't just question like okay if we're doing x what should we do you should question like why are people doing x because then you're going to figure out like what should the next step be like maybe they're just doing this because you're giving them a design and this is just what they want to do but like if you rethought it because they're doing something for some unknown reason i know this is like super abstract but for some unknown reason then you might actually figure out an alternative path because Really, they wanted to do this, but they didn't have an option. And so that, that's kind of how I see first principles. That's a pretty good explanation about that. Yeah. I feel like you can always get to like the most rational answer when you do it too. There's no disputing it. If you're like, this is like the facts. This is what's sitting on the ground and this is what's happening. Well, I find it interesting because I worked at like a, uh, I worked on a team that was very data focused. And everything was about data, 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 you know, not just like, mm-hmm. oh, we have to use data to build the product better. It's like literally the product is about data. So <laughs> people who it's like, really a lot of, yeah, a lot yeah, of it was, it was AI stuff. And so um, it was like the most data you can get, you know, billions of files and, and, you know, black box, who knows what the algorithm's doing. But what we discovered through a lot of conversations with data scientists and statisticians and, and, and business analysts is that a lot of it comes down to the interpretation of the data and how people can make assumptions from that hypotheses. So when someone like when we talk about like, like facts, like there's objective truth, but then there's also this like, okay, well, what do you do with that? Right? Mm -hmm. How do you apply that? How do you make use of that information? And that is where a lot of people get tripped up and they confuse that with facts and they confuse that with like, a fake reality of sorts. Um, what other uh, challenges have you have you faced uh, in, in this collaborative space? This new endeavor that you worked on with with you know with Slice, and uh, I'd like to poke a little more of that. I think uh, building taste into a product is really hard. Nailed it, and it goes. It go- <laughs> <laughs> I could see the path because because we use a lot of data too. It's actually been kind of the bane of our our work for the past year. It's like getting our analytics up to speed. So it's like perfectly accurate. We spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and it's really, really hard sometimes to go and and spend so much time on building data infrastructure. And then sometimes just say, let's throw out that data because maybe it doesn't actually get us to what we want. Um, it's kind of like the problem with like Google testing out the colors. I know that's like the classic story, right? But like, what's the perfect hue of a blue button, right? Let's like use data to pick it out. Like, okay, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe there's some weird conversion with, with colors, but then you just see things like Apple, which is just like, we're just going to choose this blue because it looks nice to most of us. Um, and it's just like two different ways of thought. And I, I found that it's, it's really hard in a bigger organization to go and build um, an argument when you just have taste. Uh, if someone's always asking why, it's really easy to be like, well, the data shows this, and so that's what we're going to do. But sometimes it's like the data shows this, but really like if you just talk to people and just like you get qualitative data or you just have conversations or you just see how people interact and there's no real hard numbers on this, it just seems like it's a better interaction, better place to put whatever button, set button, right? Um, it's so hard to make that case because then people are just going to be like, that's just your opinion. And yeah. it's true. But like sometimes do- people's opinions are great, so mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, you can drive things totally through data, but then it kind of fails because you're not taking the human aspect of it, which is where yeah. the taste and the opinion comes mm-hmm. into. That's totally, it's, that's awesome. It's very, very accurate. Um, okay, so we're almost on time. We're actually basically on time. Uh, And so we want to end on one question that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. How has design shaped you? The world of design, how has that shaped you? Oh, it's made me such a creative person. It's kind of like right at the beginning, I told you how I was like playing with Lincoln Logs and Legos as a kid. I never considered to be, consider myself to be creative, especially when you're in finance. You just like (laughs) are not told that you're creative. It's just not what they do there. Um, but man, it's like transformed like my entire life. And it's just been like a culmination of this where, because I'm so focused on software design, you know, designing for the web and building websites and mobile apps, because I'm like, so, um, 
focused on looking at these little pixels and little details, I've started to do the same in my real life. And so it's like every little piece of furniture, like how does that interact with the aura of the room and the energy of the room, right? Every like outfit that I wear, um, I always try to find like the symbiotic relationship. I'm like, how do these shoes match this belt and these pants and this shirt? Um, and it's just, it's weird because like in the past year, I've just really gotten into, to like the art world and fashion and, and just in general, just like looking through the world through a different lens, your own lens and trying to like shape how that world should look, not only like logically, but just like, just visually, You're like what should the world look like? And that is definitely how design has changed me. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. And, and there anything you want to plug? No, you can just go on my Twitter. I'm not like super big on plugging all my social media <laughs> accounts. We'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This Thanks was a great here. chat. Uh, definitely got to do it again. Yeah, totally down for that.